We are live now on the Conversations That Matter podcast. Uh, wow, I uh, was not expecting to talk about what I'm going to start talking about this morning, but uh, it fits in with some of the other things that I had planned. So uh, we're going to start off with the breaking news right now, which is uh, what's essentially happened in the development of the Nashville shooting. We have an article here. This is from Louder with Crowder. And uh, I, I saw on Rumble when he put this out there, if you want to see some analysis and, and uh, Stephen Crowder reading this, but this is the Nashville shooter. Uh, the name is, is often Audrey Hale, but Aiden Hale, uh, I believe is the birth name, but uh, transgender uh, shooter uh, identified as, as trans. And uh, this is uh, hot off the press. Uh, the title of the article is, We Have Obtained Exclusive Access to the Nashville Covenant Shooters Manifesto. As many of you remember, um, Aiden Hale uh, shot students uh, and teachers at a uh, at Covenant School in Nashville, which is actually right across from the street uh, from a place I spoke uh, in, I think, 2021. And uh, the ERLC's actually uh, president, Brett Leatherwood, his, uh, uh, I don't know if it's son or daughter, but one of his kids goes to this school, at least one of them. So th there are some uh, connections to the Southern Baptists, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit uh, as we get into this and just remind everyone about what the Southern Baptists did in reaction to this and whether or not you think that was the right call, given what we know now. But... Uh, he, here are some screenshots of the actual manifesto. So you have um, first, uh, it says Death Day uh, is the heading of this particular article. And then it goes through uh, the uh, some of the thoughts of the shooter before uh, they committed uh, the action. And I'm noticing that there's some ads here. Hopefully I can take care of those. I, I hate these. <laughs> it's it's Crowder's website, and I understand he's got to monetize, but um, I don't like it when the ads are uh, are like that. Anyway, uh, so here's the manifesto itself, a screenshot of it, at least the uh, first uh, page. And it says, this is the day. The day has finally come. This is on the 27th of March earlier this year. I can't believe it's here. Don't know how I was able to get this far, but here I am. I'm a little nervous, but excited too. Been excited for the past two weeks. There were several times I could have been caught, especially in the summer of 2021. So it clues you into the fact that this was more than just two weeks this was being planned. Apparently, this had been years in the making. None of that matters now. I'm almost an hour and seven minutes away. So an hour and seven minutes away is another thing that should clue you into something. It, th this school is specifically targeted. It wasn't just a random school that fit a certain profile. Uh, it was specifically targeted because uh, he had to travel from a distance to get there. Can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm ready. I hope my victims aren't. My only fear is if anything goes wrong, I'll do my best to prevent... Uh, I think it says um, anything. I don't, I'm not sure what word that is of the sort, but preventing anything from going wrong. Uh, God, let my wrath take over my anxiety. It might be 10 minutes tops. 
it might be three to seven. It's going to go so uh, it's going to go quick. I hope I have a high death count. Ready to die. It's underlined. Ha ha. Signed Aiden, which is interesting uh, that. Uh, so Audrey was the name that this particular uh, male was going by, but uh, he signs it with his I, I assume that's the birth name, Aiden. And then there is a schedule here of uh, the day's events, which uh, shows you how organized this whole thing was um, all the way from getting up, uh, getting dressed, eating breakfast, uh, and then getting everything ready, uh, even going to the range, the gun range before and using um, a knife that had a car glass breaker on the, uh, the end of it. Uh, testing that out on some of, uh, I guess, his dad's old cars. Uh, and then leading up to uh, what Aiden says is time to die. So uh, this is the uh, the second part. This is, uh, so, so that was the schedule. And then I guess this is page three. This is all handwritten, by the way, uh, in a notebook. And these are screenshots that were, uh, from my understanding, obtained by Steven Crowder's show, but they were they were sent to someone. Someone had these images sent to them, I'm assuming from Aiden. And so here's uh, here's another one. And I, I, I think uh, that's also now I, I think Steven Crowder was saying this was uh, Audrey was the name up here, but it looks like Aiden to me and I can't tell. I mean, that looks like a Y at the end. So maybe that is Audrey. Uh, but uh, either way, this belonged to the shooter. And it says, kill those kids, underlined three exclamation points. Uh, and then it says, those crackers. Uh, going to, and, and I, I will note, I think everyone knows, but I'm allowed to say that without censorship. Uh, I couldn't say things that are equivalent about uh, other, um, I, I couldn't read, I'll put it that way. I couldn't read a manifesto, uh, hypothetically, that that's similar to this if it was targeting other ethnic groups because this video would be taken down but that that's the double standard and we'll talk a little bit about that that's not where i want to focus most of my time conservatives are kind of notorious for pointing out double standards which doesn't necessarily move the needle but i think sometimes it's worth at least mentioning jesus did it with the pharisees at times so uh those crackers uh going to private fancy schools so schools is, is plural here this means uh that Aiden wanted to target a specific school, but the anger is, there's an umbrella of anger that encompasses more than just that one school. With those fancy khakis and sports backpacks, um, with their daddy's Mustangs and convertibles, uh, F you little, uh, and I'll substitute a word here, uh, poops. <laughs> But obviously not using those words. Uh, I'm I'm trying to keep this. I, I don't even know if I should attempt it. Uh, you can't do family friendly with this. So if you have kids, I, I would just say uh, just be prepared because I'm not sure exactly what's coming next um, uh, in the episode, depending on what people comment. And please do comment in the live chat if you have thoughts on this or anything you want me to comment on. Uh, I wish to shoot you uh, weak uh, and then uh, a name for a donkey there. Uh, and then a name for a male part uh, with your mop yellow hair. Uh, so, you know, this is really getting into 
uh, anti-white, anti-Aryan uh, type looking people. Uh, is this, I mean, you look at Aiden and you think Aiden's a very, uh, it's, it's associated at least with like white suburban kids and Aiden looks very white and, and, and the kind of person that would fit this de demographic that he's going after. But with all the anti-white rhetoric in the last few years, it's not, not a shock that someone would feel this way. I mean, we've seen this kind of anger even from people in Christian circles, and I pointed it out many times. Uh, in fact, the writing was understandable. You remember that? Uh, wh who's that? Walter Strickland, I think, said that. You know, it was, there was an under he understood why people were rioting, and it's, uh, they, they weren't being heard. And so it, it, implying as Christians, we all need to kind of understand this and uh, not that it's necessarily right, but give it a sympathetic treatment. And, I mean, you, you've had um, so many instances of this. I mean, it, it's hard to even, I have so many like examples flooding to my mind from, you know, Matt Chandler's Anglo 8 to Tim Keller saying, if you're white, you have an extra million dollar head start on life to uh, just um, the uh, what happened at Southern Seminary with various professors there uh, demeaning figures from white history like Thomas Jefferson. And I mean, there's just so much of this in the Christian world, let alone uh, the secular world. And, and I don't need to go back over that. Those who listen to the show, you're very aware of all of this. But just think about that narrative and that that hatred that that was supposed to. I mean, th this stuff was not. Um, oh, someone's actually commenting and saying the Nashville shooter was a biological female born Audrey. So I guess I got that reversed. Transition to male and change name to Aiden. So, OK, that may be true. Um, it was, it's been a while since I covered it and I thought I remembered it being the other way around, but, uh, I will go with uh, what I'm being sent right now. So, uh, it's so, so Aiden, I guess is the, not the birth name. It's Audrey is the birth name. Sorry for that confusion there. Uh, and so actually that makes more sense to me now, uh, why, uh, why she would use that name uh, in particular. So uh, anyway, um, this narrative, though, the, the interesting thing the, to me about this is uh, th this is mostly an anti-white, anti-pro-critical um, race theory type narrative kind of screed. And uh, she says a bunch of little and then uses a, a word uh, typically used to demean homosexuals uh, with your white privileges, um, F-U. And then uh, that word again didn't mean homosexuals. Now, this is, I don't know why she would use that word term, given uh, her own uh, identity. But uh, clearly, um, th there's a problem here with hating people that come from her world. I mean, people that look like her, people with whom she has a connection and developing such a disdain uh, for them. Um, you can even see, I mean, she's putting pictures of a target and a gun and, uh, shooting that gun at the target on this particular, uh, journal or uh, note paper that she had. So that's the breaking news. That's the situation. And I'm sure so much more by the time, even some of you listen to this, so much more will probably come out, uh, one of the listeners says, I wonder if critical race theory was used as a curriculum in the school. I wouldn't doubt it if there was some connection there. Uh, and uh, Brian Babes uh, says uh, she was white hating on her own. Yeah. And, and that's I mean, we saw that in 2020. A lot of the people who had the most where I were from where I was sitting at Southeastern. I remember 
it was the the whitest people in the whitest communities going to the whitest churches seemed to have the biggest problems with white people it was it was amazing uh so so why was this censored until now i don't know the answer to that question but cripple creek carl asked that question and it's a good question but i do know one thing um and thank you. Other people were jumping in to correct me on it, it was a biological female. So uh, I, I that was not intentional, just so everyone knows on my part. Obviously, I want to be correct with their true biology. And um, I got that switched up in my head. And I'm not sure why I did, to be honest, because uh, I certainly knew in March, uh, uh, if you go back to those episodes, that Audrey was a biological female. But anyway, um, neither here nor there. Uh, the one of the things I wanted to focus on here is what the ERLC, Brent Leatherwood, who's uh, has a connection to the school, what they have done, what they did do with this at the time. And if you're a Southern Baptist, this does have some relevance for you. This is something to start thinking through to some extent. The New York Times reported during, this is right after, I should say, the shooting at Covenant School, Brent Leatherwood, a Covenant School parent, who has been present in court over the last few weeks, said Thursday's developments made it an extraordinary day by any definition. From the outset of this case, uh, Mr. Leatherwood said in a statement, and, and this is the key part, we have told our attorneys to leave no stone unturned in our pursuit of the ultimate objective we have, which is to prevent any of these writings, meaning what you just heard me talk about, or any material that might inspire similar destructive events from ever seeing the light of day. He added, no one, either in the legal community or outside of it, should doubt our resolve. The, this is resources that if you're a Southern Baptist and you're giving to the Southern Baptist Convention, some of your money is going to the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And some of that money went to uh, these attorneys who were working uh, overtime, apparently, or at least working uh, very hard, according to Brent Leatherwood, to suppress what you just heard me read. Now, I find that a curious thing because... Um, I mean, maybe someone in the chat can correct me if I'm wrong here, but has that ever been something that the ERLC has put any resources toward in other similar circumstances where there's a shooting? Have they tried to uh, at least even even without attorneys publicly take a stand against releasing those manifestos? Um, I don't think so. I kind of doubt it. If someone has an example, I'd be curious to hear it. But they th th this was something that was very personal to Mr. Leatherwood. Um, yet there was something else he did at the time. And here is a copy of it. This is a letter and it's got the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention heading on it. It says Office of the President. Dear Lieutenant Governor, Speaker, and every member of the legislature, this is Tennessee. Now, I was told, this is going back now a few years, but I was told during Russell Moore's time that the ERLC did not get involved in state political matters. They were more national matters. And so that's the reason they didn't back the heartbeat bill, that kind of thing. Well, clearly, uh, they have no problem backing red flag laws and putting their efforts uh, in, into that you know, on the state level in Tennessee, because that's exactly what this letter, and I'm not going to read it for you, we talked about it at the time, goes over. This is Brent Leatherwood, the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the SBC, encouraging people to vote for a red flag law. Now, this is there's nothing in here about transgenderism or the connections between transgenderism and, and mental health. Uh, or just the, the violent tendencies. And I'm talking about the violence that transgender people tend to do to themselves, whether that's the in, in, in just off the charts 
a high suicide rate or it's uh, mutilating their bodies or you know things like that. You would think that that would be concerning if you're going if I'm saying if you're going down this road of saying we should limit people who have firearms, uh, that should be probably one of the main factors, especially after a shooting like this. But there's nothing like that. And, and so this is where Southern Baptist resources were going in the days after this particular shooting. It took Steven Crowder, it took a conservative political commentator and comedian to actually release this. Uh, and he made the point several times in his podcast that in the release of this, uh, it was, he thinks at least it was very possible that other larger media companies, even conservative media companies, had the resources and ability to do the same thing, but were too cowardly to do so. Now, I don't have any primary sources on that, but that would, I would, I would just say that that makes sense to me. At least that rings true with what I've seen, uh, even in the Christian world, that it, it took him, who's bold enough to put it out there, to actually put it out there. And I think it is something that probably needs to be put out, at least if the standing tradition is these things are released, which has been that. I can't remember a high profile shooting that had one of these in which it wasn't released. I mean, I remember reading the Dylan Roof uh, manifesto. I remember there was one in Buffalo, New York, that was a racially motivated uh, shooting. And I, I remember uh, that was uh, released. And I mean, uh, most of these are. There was one at a Walmart in Texas, what, two years ago? Uh, that was a, a climate change kind of manifesto. I mean, these things get released almost immediately, generally speaking. And the purpose at least I thought, was to warn demographics of copycats or at least to let them know that there, there are evil people who want to target them. So in the case of, let's say, uh, the Charleston church where uh, you have someone who is specifically targeting black people, it's important to warn black people that, hey, there's, there's at least one person out there who used violence against you because he doesn't want you around. And if there are copycats, if there maybe there are others who are involved with him, we don't know all the information, but I think it's important to just be careful, be on notice if you're in that demographic. I, I thought that was the intention. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's all just political. In this case, though, you have a Christian school and you have it, it's white people. It's white people who attend Christian schools uh, in the suburbs, fairly affluent people, at least affluent enough to let their kids drive their Mustangs. And uh, those are the kinds of people that should be put on notice. But notice the media did not carry any kind of narrative. I mean, normally the media doesn't even need a manifesto for that, right? They automatically jump to the assumption it must be motivated by some kind of a right-leaning uh, motivation or a racially motivated against minorities kind of thing. Um, they didn't do any of that with this. It, it couldn't have been linked to transgenderism. It couldn't have been linked to uh, anti-Christian hatred or anything like that. And here we see that uh, the suspicions apparently were somewhat vindicated that many conservatives had of this. So uh, that's that's the concern I have with Southern Baptists giving money to the ERLC and then Brent Leatherwood using that money to hire attorneys to suppress something like this. There's clearly an agenda there that is political and it's mostly, it, it lines up with the left's political agenda, which is if it's a shooting that they can use somehow to move the needle against their uh, the, the the base of voters that opposes them, then they will release it. They will smear them. They will do whatever they can. But if not, uh, if they can't use it in any way, it's suppressed. It's cover up. 
It's make, make it go away, make it quiet, and then blame the guns. And that's exactly what Brent Leatherwood did. It was blame the guns. And so uh, there, there's, this is why, I mean, I don't want to give, uh, people know, people know what I think. I don't want to give every, anyone specific advice because everyone's in a different situation. But for me, this is one of the reasons that I just couldn't in, in good conscience ever give, uh, at least to, the, to a general fund in the SBC where some of that money could go to the ERLC. I just, I just couldn't do it. That's a voluntary thing. You don't have to do that. Just because you were born into an SBC church and you, uh, your church it has always been SBC doesn't mean it needs to continue being SBC. And it doesn't, even if it's SBC, uh, you should at least look into ways that you can give, if you have to stay in, you know, give whatever it is, your $18 or your $20 to stay in. Make sure none of that money is going to the RLC. Uh, that, that would be my advice. Now, I, you know, I think most of the entities have corruption issues in the SBC, if not all. So, but, but this is just egregious in my opinion. So, um, <laughs> May Houston said, it's definitely not always white kids who attend private schools. That's very true. But in the manifesto, it's white people who are singled out uh, very explicitly. So it's not just Christian school attenders. It is white kids who go to Christian schools. Uh, all right. So, uh, and Pastor Michael Grant says, the biblical doctrine of separation will require a person separate from the SBC at this point. Well, yeah, I mean, if it requires you to partner with evil, then I would say absolutely. And there are people who debate that and say, well, we can still be in and not be in partnership with evil. That's a very hard line to walk and increasingly a harder line to walk if you're in the denomination. So that's what I wanted to say about the SBC. Of course, uh, in this episode, though, we are talking about uh, transgenderism and the normalization of that. And um, and there are many examples that I, I'm even thinking of episodes I've done in the past where we've talked about Acts 29 networks. Uh, ha they had a pastor who was, uh, I, I guess, affirming would be a fine label to use in Australia. They had a, a pastor who was affirming or at least normalizing uh, transgenderism. And there was a recent, uh, I think it was in Massachusetts. I played it a few weeks ago. A pastor up there in the Acts 29 network had also at, at least made, I don't know if you want to call what he said affirming, but he was trying to talk about reaching out and making churches essentially safe places where they're comfortable. And uh, it, it was, you know, all all motivated by this, trying to evangelize by not being too critical initially, right? And just softening that that approach. And so we've seen this kind of thing for years, really, in many circles. We've seen this from Gospel Coalition articles. Uh, we've seen this, uh, wait, what was the one? I think it was, uh, maybe it was TGC Australia again, where, you know, Jesus had a body dysphoria or, or kind of some kind of a dysphoria. And then that was somehow linked to transgenderism or something like that. There, there, it was weird, but there's a number of those things, those, those, uh, stretches that people try to make to accommodate and they're accommodating lifestyles of sin, whether they know they're doing it or not. This is, you know, revoice, not revoice, um, revoice, certainly, but the uh, living outs church. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to remember what they called it, but it was a audit of some kind for churches to make sure that their church was inclusive of LGBTQ or people who uh, uh, believe that they are in one of those categories. Uh, Tim Keller, though, supported it. So so this has been going on uh for a while. And, um, and, and, and so we're, we're not going to focus on all of that, but I want to give you a few examples of things that just 
let me know that things are going to the next level, that there's a penetration uh, of this ideology into formerly evangelical circles that's going much deeper. And that's going to continue, I think, for some time. So let's start with this one. This is an article from Enemies Within the Church written by Kyle Witt. Uh, Kyle Witt, by the way, former uh, North American Mission Board for the Southern Baptist Convention church planner who uh, whistle blew on what Nam was doing. And uh, so um, man of character. And he wrote this. Uh, the title is Max Lucado, who, of course, very big in evangelical circles, joins a conference with a transgender Christian speaker. And um, I'll just read some of this for you. Why is Max Lucado speaking at the 2024 Exiles in Babylon conference? <clears throat> it's the question we would love an answer to, though it seems the answer may not be a good one. But what is the conference? And is it truly a problem? This is even more problematic in the wake of Andy Stanley's unconditional conference, which was rightfully drawn uh, more scrutiny to church leaders flirting with accepting homosexuality in some form or another. So it makes it more concerning that Max would be joining the stage with a transgender Christian, something that goes a step beyond what Andy Stanley did. Who would have thought Max Lucado would be going beyond Andy Stanley <laughs> in, in the wrong direction? But here we are. The Exiles in Babylon Conference is an annual Christian conference hosted by Preston Sprinkle in Boise. The primary topics it covers are LGBT and racial reconciliation, with this year additionally covering the church and politics and women, power and abuse. Funny how those things always seem to go together, right? We will briefly describe the issues here, but we prepared mini profiles on a speaker for each topic to allow you more details as to why this conference is so concerning. Those profiles are linked when each person is mentioned. So uh, there's more information, essentially, if you want to delve deeper as you read the article. But you can go to uh, EWTCnews.com, EWTCnews.com, if you want to see uh, more of these links. Um. So let's see, I, I want to skip past some of this. Uh, okay, so there's a speaker, Kat LaPrairie. Um, and the I guess for this conference, the advertisement said that uh, she would be talking about LGBT people and the church. Kat is a biological female, uses they, them, or she, her pronouns, identifies as transgender because of her disconnect between her body and her eternal self. Now, I'm almost afraid at this point to say biologically what she is, but apparently it's not a she. Oh, it is a she. Okay, see, that's why I'm afraid. I I just got it wrong <laughs> with the Audrey Hale situation. She is not a biological male. All right, so it's another she. Yes, talking about transgender individuals is confusing when it comes to be uh, being clear about who they are biologically, but she is not the only concerning speaker addressing that topic. The, only, uh, the, the one that we find particularly concerning is Art, uh, and I think I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Pereira, Art Pereira, a celibate gay man who has sought to satisfy his desire for marriage and family by inventing a chosen brother relationship where he and he straight his straight friend have formed a household together. They've committed to maintaining that even after the friends gets married. This may sound strange, but Art's own descriptions, which can be found in his many profile, are even stranger. This is just a taste to show what the conference's stances, uh, what, what their position on homosexuality is. Okay, so um, I'm not going to get some of this is analysis. They have some other woke speakers, apparently Chris Butler, Tiffany Bloom. Uh, Chris Butler is a Democrat, um, not simply by voting, but he ran for Congress as a Democrat. Okay, so 
I mean, this is a woke conference. Uh, you have um, the, Chris uh, has written a book promoting the ideas of the progressives and campaign. Tiffany uh, Blum or Bloom agrees with him, yet she takes it further by adding systemic oppression of women to the sins of America. So she's got a feminist side to her. Uh, and she, she's part of what she calls the resistorhood cohort class. She clarifies that it's not simply feminism, but women's liberation, she believes in. Okay, so this is just, this is like, this is a woke fest. That's what this is. And guess who's speaking there uh, along these, uh, with these others, uh, Max Lucado. So, you know, very disappointing to me. At least he's schedules, uh, scheduled to speak at this conference, which happens in 2024. This, don't, don't, don't miss this. This is, a this is another step down the road to depravity uh max lucato wouldn't have done this i don't think two years ago uh three years ago he was talking about uh his i think it's my still most viewed video on youtube <laughs> go figure i didn't put a lot of work into it it was just like one article about max lucato and i and i read it and gave some analysis but he was talking about his own white privilege and confessing his own sins of racism because he didn't uh, he he wasn't compassionate enough and that kind of thing. And 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 that was a surprise to people at the time. And and there were people mad at me at the time because they thought that, well, he didn't, you're getting him wrong, John. He didn't really mean that. And I'm like, I'm just quoting him. Now, look, look at where he's headed. Look at who he's associating with. Look at who he's willing to talk with at a in the theme of a conference that's that, that's uh exceptionally woke. So um that's uh, I got a question. I'm not sure this caught my eye. John, your mute Christmas concert review was epic. Would you consider doing another? I'm assuming that's TGC. Sure. Sure. Um, yes. I, and I know, yeah, people keep reminding me that the shooter was uh, female. Yes, I, I got it. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I think people are uh, coming onto the live stream and they're seeing the earlier parts where I was saying biological male in error. And uh, I have corrected that though. Uh, all right, so you you have Max Lucado um, doing this. Uh, you also have, this was recently at the Dove Awards, you have Derek Webb. Derek Webb has had, I, I think, like 10, if I'm not mistaken, top 10 or, or maybe number one hits on Christian radio. I mean, there's someone who has some significant, uh, ha had some significant power or at least um, influence in the Christian music industry. And these are pictures of him dressing like a woman, cross-dressing. I mean, look, he's dressed more as a traditional woman than most women are dressed now. I mean, that, that's the irony of this. I mean, you have these male uh, cross-dressers who are putting on more feminine apparel than what women are wearing. Uh, I mean, this is what you might see your, your grandma wearing. And, um, and this is where you know he and he went with someone who is uh considers themselves to be transgender to the dove awards now this doesn't mean the dove awards was endorsing this but he found it acceptable in his mind at least he, he thought that he could get away with going and not feeling ashamed of it and uh you know i and i don't know what kind of response he got but i'm assuming he was allowed to go and uh, he, he participated in uh, at least attending uh, and and this was, I mean, this was something that uh, this is probably the first time it's ever happened. Uh, if, if it's not the first time, it's the first time of someone who's high profile. So, um, so I, I'm not sure. If, someone's got to talk to me about 
this uh, Christian music thing. I'm not sure what concert you're referring to in the chat group here. So I'll, I'll respond at the end, but I, I want to get to a few more things. Uh, so that was Derek Webb. And then you have this. This is Zach Lambert, who uh, is a pastor. And Zach Lambert uh, had this to say. And uh, this is in from one year ago, okay? This sermon from one year ago. But it, I think uh, James White, I haven't listened to James White's analysis. I'm sure it was good. But James White recently played uh, this particular um, sermon and reviewed it. And, and so even though it's a sermon from a year ago, it's become, it, it, there was some on social media going back and forth about it. But there's only one clip that I wanted to play for you about this. So I'm going to play that for you. And, um, and then we'll talk about it which gender is or should be influenced by someone's sex at birth is debated and the degree to which gender should be influenced by God's biological design is also debated but what we do know is that the call for all Christians regardless of sex or gender is Christ likeness defined by the fruit of the spirit it is Christ likeness defined by the fruit of the spirit Dallas Theological Seminary professor and gender studies expert, Dr. Sandra Glan, said it like this on our summer mixtape back in 2020. What God is interested in is fruit of the Spirit. For some, it's going to be the fruit of the Spirit in a female body. For others, it's going to be in a male body. And for others, it's going to be in an intersex body. But it's going to be the fruit of the Spirit no matter what your body is. This is very important. The call to Christ likeness is never gendered in Scripture, right? So there. All right, well... Yeah, the call to Christ is never gendered in Scripture. Zach Lambert. Now, why did I want to play that clip for you? We've gone over the argument that he employs here. We've uh, refuted it. Uh, this is uh, He goes on after this to talk about how uh, God does not have specific rules for holiness for men and women. It's just their general rules. And this is a strategy to redirect Christian focus away from uh even asking questions about whether transgenderism is, is acceptable or wrong, but instead to try to say, you just need to focus on what God talks about. God's concerned about holiness, whether someone's transgender or not, doesn't matter. And, and the assumption is they can be holy and live apart from God's design for men and women, uh, which is, is just kind of bonkers. But he cites someone here. This is what I, the reason I wanted, this caught my attention. He cites a professor, Sandra uh, Glon. From Dallas Theological Seminary. And Sandra Glon is a professor of media arts and worship at DTS uh, and uh, just talks about the different things that she uh, teaches, but she also is, talks about uh, art, gender, sexual intimacy, and marriage, and first century backgrounds as they relate to gender. So she's got a, a bioethic sexuality and biblical women. So she's got this um, background where she's She's involved in, in discussions about gender. And this is where Zach Lambert is getting inspiration. So, so notice this. It's not that Dallas Theological Seminary is ignoring this. this is, and this is a seminary that cranks out a lot of pastors. It's a big seminary. They're not just ignoring this issue, right? Which is what a lot of evangelical organizations do. They ignore it. You know, it's just not worth the risk to... Uh, uh, to, to take that kind of a risk uh, and, and take a stand for biblical morality on this topic because you're going to get the people influenced by the world and worldly thinking coming after you and they're powerful people. Uh, no, um, they, they're going the extra step uh, as this former, formerly, I'll say formerly, evangelical school 
is employees professors, at least one, who is actually affirming to some extent or normalizing transgenderism. Uh, Zach Lambert's inspired by Sandra Glahn. That's what I wanted to point out. I mean, this is a level down. Don't miss this. This is a level down. This is this is new territory that we're covering in a sense, because you know, the frustration for a while is was that evangelical organizations were being weak about this stuff, not that they were affirming it. And I warned a number of us warned uh, years ago that this would eventually lead to affirmation and finding theological ways in which to somehow uh, make the regime's narrative acceptable to biblical Christians or Christians who claim to value the Bible. And this happens in communist countries. This happened in, I, I know a little more about it because I've read more about it, but um, there's a book now it's written by someone who is, is very left, but there are some primary sources uh, in it that are helpful, or at least quotes of primary sources uh, called Aryan Jesus. And it's about the Nazi experience with uh, the German Christian movement. And this is basically what they did was, you know, you know how we're going to make sure that we survive. We're going to convince our overlords, the people who have political power, that we're not a threat. And in fact, we support their narrative. Uh, the confessing church, by and large, it was, I mean, I know that there are much, uh, there's a lot of respect for the confessing church, and there are figures in the confessing church worthy of respect. But by and large, the confessing church was very weak, and they wanted to just, just let's just leave us alone, stay out of our church business, and we'll leave you alone, okay? The German Christian movement went the extra step of no, you know, Lutherans and Catholics saying we're going to advocate uh, for the Nazi ideology. And not only that, we're going to show how scripture supports it somehow. And, and that you have the same dynamic going on here, obviously different issues in, at play. But it's, you know, what do, what do the powerful people want? The people who could cancel us, the people who could take away our tax exempt status, the people who could, uh, you know, hurt us in some way. We're going to try to accommodate them. And the way we accommodate them, since the pressure is building, is we are going to affirm the evil things that they affirm. And, and, and that's the road, that's the road that we're going down. Now, I was really happy to see, I don't want this to be, uh, as uh, people say, a black pill for everyone. So I did want to point out that John Cooper, the front man for Skillet, and by the way, I'm not a big hard rock guy. Uh, I've, there's, there's a few bands and a few songs that I've listened to that I guess you could, that are hard rock. But, uh, but I have to say, um, I've listened to a number of songs on uh, Skillet's new album. And there's one called Psycho in My Head. And it, it just, I think it's about human depravity and so forth. But anyway, it's very catchy. And uh, so I recommend checking that out and supporting John Cooper, to be honest, because John Cooper is taking a stand here. And this is, it's a scary thing. I, I think he's bold enough. He can handle it. I mean, he was the guy that during the 2020 uh, riots, uh, and he, he was in, um, uh, oh goodness. Now I'm forgetting the name of the, the, uh, the, the city that he lives in, uh, man. And there were some bad riots there too. It'll come to me in a moment, uh, in Wisconsin, uh, right near Chicago. Why can't I think of the name of it? Indian name, uh, Kenosha. Thank you. I, I don't think did someone put it in the chat. Kenosha, somehow it came to me. So anyway, uh, he, he was during those, th that, that experience, I remember he talked about like being, you know, having his air 15 ready, being in his house, hearing the riots. I mean, he's a tough guy, so I think he can take it, but 
look, this is a scary thing. And he, I'm not going to play the interview for you, but if you go to uh, Rumble, there's like a five minute clip of him on OAN. Now it's a conservative news network. And he just rips in to uh, what Derek Webb's doing and what Christians who want to normalize transgenderism are doing, how it's unbiblical, it's evil. And I just thank God for people like him who are, who have influence, who are still using it uh, in appropriate ways uh, because they actually believe it. Now, since we're on the topic, I figured I would at least be, people sent this to me, a number of people and wanted me to comment on it. So I'd at least uh, show you this. Uh, the secret life of Smith Station Mayor and Baptist Pastor F.L. Bubba Copeland as a transgender curvy girl. It's a hobby I do to relieve stress. Quote, this is from 1819 News, which is a conservative news organization. And they broke the story. And I think it was after they broke it that, uh, unfortunately, this particular pastor committed suicide. And so it's a very, very sad um, story, but it's, and I don't even, it's, it's almost too hard for me to go through it, but you know, he, he called where he lived at, you know, where Mayberry 2023, this is a small town. This is, you know, people must not have known uh, that, you know, this is what, um, this is what he was doing. I mean, there's a picture of him and Donald Trump. I mean, he's, he's living in a very conservative uh, world uh, and, but yet he had an alter ego life. He had his um, his Britney character that he played at times and uh, on Instagram uh, had it looks like I don't know if that's followers or what that is, but he had a, he had a following. I don't I don't know how many people um, active in the trans trans uh, groups online Um there's there's just a bunch of stuff. I mean, 1819 News found everything. I mean, they found even, you know, where he's wearing clothes that his wife is seen photographed in in, in other places. And this, of course, has led to uh, he has uh, taken his life. And I mean, I, I don't even know exactly what to say about this. Other people wanted me to comment, but I, I don't even know if I have words. It's just it, it's extremely sad to me. And coming from one of the most conservative towns in the country, uh, or at least that he describes it as a very conservative place, very traditional place, pastor and the mayor. I mean, this is a small town. So obviously there's, um, the, the narrative that the left takes on this kind of thing is that it's the stigma that comes with transgenderism that, uh, killed this particular individual. Bubba died because people were judging him and they don't think about well, maybe, maybe it's these kind. And I'm not saying he was even trans. I don't even know what you would call what he did. I mean, he was part of these transgender communities, so I guess that's fine. Uh, but this, this cross-dressing, this maybe there's something deeply go wrong that's going on here. Maybe, maybe uh, there's a reason that suicide is so prevalent uh, in this particular demographic. You know, maybe um, doing violence, mutilating yourself, and then committing suicide is a, a sign that you're not well. And uh, so, so the left will place the blame on the community, that the community did this to him and he, he had to kill himself because of, of uh, he, he couldn't take the judgment. I mean, this is a man that, who's a pastor and a mayor. I mean, in a community that's pretty red. So, you know, obviously there is going to be some stigma with that. And, and in fact, if the community knows if they love him, they should make sure that he's no longer the pastor. They should make sure he's no longer the mayor. They should get him some help. And, and that's, where the emphasis should be, we, we need to help this guy. 
this guy, and, and we need to also check ourselves and how are we this deceived? How did we not see this, right? Those are the kind of questions I'm sure people are asking there. But he decided to end it. And so I don't know that this story fits in with the normalization of transgenderism. Uh, there are still places, uh, especially red places, small towns, where this is, you can't be the pastor of the local Baptist church and have, and, and be doing cross-dressing on the side. It's just not something that's accepted. Uh, and it shouldn't be. But um, but the fact that, you know, th this is even a temptation for someone who lives in, in what he calls Mayberry. That's the thing I suppose I want people to think about a little and ponder is the media has put so many things in front of our eyes, uh, pornographic images. Even if you're not looking at pornography, you're you're taking in advertisements. I mean, at the beginning of this video, well, they weren't like super bad, but there were some advertisements even on the news story I was trying to get rid of before I showed it to you. I mean, we're just so used to those things and we're very overly sexualized and it's not, we don't even have to leave our house. And these influences come in and you can be in Mayberry without anything overt going on that would persuade you to go that direction. And you'll go that direction because there's other influences coming in. And I don't know, uh, you know, what influences uh, Bubba was looking at or, or listening to, but um, that would be my very strong suspicion. So uh, a little bit of a wake up call. So, uh, yeah, someone says that's not transgender. Uh, that is cross-dressing or maybe transvestite. Well, I got it, but he was part of these transgender groups. So that's why I'm saying, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what, what you would call it. That's why I don't know enough about his situation. Okay. So, um, that is, that is that we've been going 45 minutes. I think we have time to go over some of the, uh, other stuff that I wanted to talk about. Oh, with uh, last but not least on the transgender issue, I wanted to say, thank God for Rosaria Butterfield. I wanted to let you know about this reformation 21 put out an article, uh, published by Rosaria Butterfield. This was October 16th and I didn't cover it because, um, well, I had some tragedies in my own family and I just couldn't, but I, I did tell her that I wanted to get to this and, uh, there's a picture of the um, town, or that's, uh, yeah, the, is a school board meeting? I, I thought that was a town meeting. But anyway, uh, no, it was a school board meeting. So here's the article. Um, let me just read for you some clips from this. The meeting opened with reverent silence and ended in uh, plaintive wails and heaving sobs. No, this was not the funeral of a dignitary. This was the school board meeting in Durham, North Carolina, where residents shared opinions about a newly passed parental rights law. The new state law prohibits the county school system's current posture of concealing a child's transgender identity from parents. And tonight, the only place we heard the word perverted was from a school board member about Christians. Our journey to that night in Durham begins months earlier as Andrew learned firsthand that local votes addressing the foundation of reality could come up without much warning. So she, she goes through what essentially led her to making this decision to go make a speech at the school board meeting. And I just have to say that this is something that all the evangelical elites who have influence should be all hands on deck about. And the silence is deafening. And it is people like Rosaria, who is a, a, a mother and a uh, pastor's wife, uh, she, yeah, she's an author, but she she sees herself and her life is primarily that of uh, a mother and a pastor's wife. Not that, and I should say, not that a pastor's wife is a 
I, I have uh, parents, my, my dad's a pastor. So I, I know that pastor's wife is not a position. All right. It's not in the Bible. You're just the wife of, you're the wife of a pastor, but she, she, she is a hospitable person. She compliments the, the work that her husband does. That's how she sees herself. There's no reason that she has to go to a meeting like this and enter the fray other than her conviction before God. The meeting, open, the meeting opened with a moment of silence for those targeted by the state legislature's actions. I mean, how about that? You're going to go speak at the meeting and it opens. I mean, the bias is just oozing. <laughs> um, people came with, uh, who, who spoke, I guess, who had uh, pronouns. They wanted to say who, what their pronouns were. So Rosario is finally called up and she shared her history as a retired tenured professor of English, women's studies and queer theory from Syracuse University. She was a lesbian activist for a decade. Um, so she talked about all that. She has those credentials. But when she shared that, uh, she was no longer a lesbian. She was grateful. She made no irreparable, uh, irreparable medical decisions that caused harm to her physical body. During her decade of lesbian confusion, a sense of tension and opposition rose from the board and the audience. Rosario explained that children who experience either the medical condition of gender dysphoria or the ideological social contagion of transgenderism need guidance from their parents. The people who know them best, love them most, and can help them heal. She said the transgender movement's rejection of the state's biological categories of male and female renders it junk science. I mean, she literally, someone gasped when she said that. So she she went after it, and she went after it the way you're supposed to go after it. No uh, walking on eggshells, no trying to soft pedal it. She just said this was the truth. So um, I'm, I, because of time constraints, I'm not going to read the rest of this, but there's a great argument here for why this is an important battlefield. You know, uh, we, we had at um, a school board meeting in the uh, county, the town, I should say, where my church is uh, last, I think it was last year, a, um, uh, one of the high schoolers from the church, from my church, went and spoke some truth to the school board about this topic did something very similar and it's just sad to me his voice was the voice of opposition right and and uh i think partially due to that there were death threats against the church and uh there was also another the church also hosted a moms for liberty thing um or at least allowed moms for liberty to use their building and uh i mean that contributed to it as well but it's like you know other churches in the area i aren't aren't i'm not trying to criticize Church. I, every church has their own situation, but this isn't something that other churches in the near area are known for, right? They're taking these public stands. It's risky. It's risky. It's risky to write, you know, religious exemptions for the vaccine. It's it's uh, risky to take a stand on biblical sexuality. Uh, it's risky to uh, contradict the BLM narrative. Uh, it is that there's these things are all very risky things to do, especially in a blue area. And Durham is a blue area, by the way. I live near there and I went to church there and uh, my wife worked there. And yes, it's it maybe in North Carolina, but it is a blue area. Um, okay. So anyway, the, the rest of it is, is very encouraging. There's some scripture passages. And uh, so Andrew Branch actually is the one who wrote this. I think I said Rosaria wrote it. it, it Andrew Branch, uh, I guess, uh, wrote this. And Rosaria, so so I guess she helped as well. So she must have uh, they 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 worked together to write to put this out there. Um, encouraging John Cooper, Rosaria Butterfield. There are some voices out there, and they do have some influence. But uh, it's just sad that we don't see more of this. And so I I hope this will inspire others who might be listening to this to take firm stands 
on these particular issues. Now, I want to get to uh, this stuff a little bit. Um, <laughs> I still have people telling me uh, that uh, she was born a girl and uh, that I, I was wrong to say. Yes, I I know. I know people are that, that has to be the explanation. People are just joining the video uh, and they're starting from the beginning. So, yeah, I, I thank you. Thank you for letting me know that uh, with Audrey. Okay, so um, I want to play for you a clip. I don't even know how I want to start this. Um, I, I need to go through it quickly here. Uh, in about half an hour, I don't know if this is live or not. I'm going to be on the Rap Report, Andrew Rappaport's podcast. So if that's live, you can you can follow me over there. But uh, but uh, anyway, I, I need to land the plane and do a few things before we get there. So let me just briefly go over this. Uh, Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House. This is this is from a lot of this information that I'm going to share with you has been around, but I just haven't been commenting on this stuff. Rolling Stone magazine, this is from Protestia, condemns House Speaker Mike Johnson for helping his son stay away from pornography. Now, if you read this article, basically what you find is that Mike Johnson uh, has accountability software on his digital devices, as his son does, and they keep each other accountable, which, you know, it's, it, it's a great thing. He's public about it. And I mean, th this does a few things. I think it shows you he has humility, number one. Because, and, and that's so important to say, you know what? I need this accountability. I need this kind of software. This helps me. Uh, that, that to me is a huge, that's an admission that, um, hey, I'm not perfect and I need, I need help in this area. And, and it's also admission that I take it seriously, which by the way, both of those things to me are just, I mean, I'm just so grateful that there's someone like that in the position they're in. I think that's God. Um, now, Mike Johnson uh, has a, a number of detractors, of course, who Rolling Stone, basically, this is what they said. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson admitted that he and his son monitored each other's porn intake. And of course, people like Keith Olbermann and other liberals uh, said, you know, are saying that uh, he has a, a problem with pornography and he's consuming that and, uh, and, and that there's skeletons in his closet. They're basically saying he's a pervert. And this is what um, you know, these, the people who actively promote policies that make pornography more accessible, who use it, uh, in their own lives, who advocate for it, who have no shame in it, who think it's great. They, they're the quickest ones, of course, to go after any Christian who might admit that, uh, they have a struggle in this area or are actively, uh, working against this kind of temptation. Uh, and then they want to just smear them. They want to make them out to be horrible people. It's, it's the height of hypocrisy, of course, uh, but um, but but this is how this whole thing was twisted. And of course, if you if you speak out against homosexuality, the the lobby, the homosexual lobby, if you want to call them that, the activists will say you're just a repressed homosexual. That's why you're doing this. You know, they they turn every motivation into some kind of a, you know, you're against pornography because you must be the worst kind of pervert, and we're looking at the worst kind of pornography. That's why you're against it, right? That's what they do. And, and it's all uh, psychobabble that's meant to justify their own sin. But this is how the world treats someone like a Mike Johnson. Now, here's another clip. This is from, or, or a clip from Pete Buttigieg. If I can, Buttigieg, is it Buttigieg or Buttigieg? Uh, whatever you say his name. He's uh, He was a candidate for president, now Department of Transportation head. He is a, uh, um, he was on the Stephen Colbert show, the Stephen Colbert show, the, the show that Tim Keller said, <laughs> I, I kid you not, the, Stephen Colbert, the, the Catholic who Tim Keller said, did a great job representing Christians and the gospel and being a witness. 
you know, something like that. Um, that that's Stephen Colbert. So, so Pete Buttigieg was on that particular show. And this is what Pete Buttigieg had to say about Speaker Mike Johnson. Let's talk. When, 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 when we last talked, um, uh, Mike Johnson was not Speaker of the House. Now Mike Johnson is Speaker of the House. Yeah. And his record on LGBTQ issues is, <laughs> what's the word? Awful. So how do you work with a guy who argued that same-sex relations are, quote, the dark harbinger of chaos and sexual anarchy that could doom even the strongest republic? Look, <clears throat> I'll work with anybody who, who can help us get good transportation available to the American people, but I don't know, maybe we'll just have them over because our, our little house isn't that far from, from the Capitol. And if you could see what it's like when I come home from work and Chaston's bringing the kids home from daycare or vice versa, and one of us is getting the mac and cheese ready, and the other one's microwaving those little freezer meatballs that are a great cheat code if you got toddlers and you gotta feed them quickly, and, and they won't take their shoes off, and one of them needs a diaper change. Everything about that is chaos, but, but nothing about that is dark. That's, the love of God is in that house. Well, uh, too bad for Mike Johnson and great for everybody else. Uh, Same-sex marriage is legal. It's constitutional. It's thriving. Okay, yeah, it's it's, it's thriving. <laughs> Meaning, a lot of uh, people, I guess, are are, are taking advantage of uh, that particular the laws that uh, accompany the privileges of marriage. Um, that is this is what we have to be prepared for as Christians. It's very emotionally manipulative. It's all emotional. Uh, everything that you just heard. I mean, little house, even using adjectives that make it seem very quaint that there there can't be anything going on that's wrong in that. He's not talking about his sexual habits <laughs> with um, his quote unquote husband. Uh, he's trying to focus on the things that you could put in a Hallmark card, the things that are heartwarming, you know, toddlers uh, being messy and, uh, you know, eating their food and coming home from school and, and that kind of thing. And that's what's used to then say, Mike, that's what Mike Johnson must be opposing. And of course, Mike Johnson isn't opposing any of those things uh, in particular. There's there's nothing that he, he's not saying that it, it's, it's uh, you know, the messiness that he's talking about or, or the evil that he's talking about isn't the messiness of kids trying to, to eat their food, which is the image you conjure up. Um, what he's talking about is the complete overhaul of sexual ethics so that we don't actually have any rules anymore. So that, and, and, and I can't even say it really on the podcast. I feel weird saying it, but so men can, um, men can harm themselves by sticking their private, but I, I, you see, I'm already like chickening out of saying, because I know that there's families who listen to this, but it, you know, get your kids out of the room. <laughs> men sticking their private parts in, uh, the the back end of other men where it's they're not meant to be doing damage uh risking their own health risking their uh, i mean emotionally um i don't even every every homosexual i have known uh and been um i mean i've even been friends with some um have had deep emotional issues um i mean i when once you get close to it and you see what this life does to people uh, especially if you're a Christian, you, your very, your compassion, the mechanism you have for compassion, 
is activated and you don't want people going that direction out of love, even if they hate you. And so I guess the question for Christians is that that narrative is so overwhelming at this point that it even, you know, th that kind of thing crushes people like Mike Johnson because he's, he must be against apple pie at this point. I mean, he's against, he's against mama. He's against things that are quintessentially seen as Americana now, because uh, now we're trying to link homosexual marriage with those things. How do you reverse that? Well, emotionally, I mean, you, you can try your best, but it's going to take some hard talk, some truth talk. And it's really going to take people trying to get around the emotions to uh, go to the intellect. And that's that's a tough challenge in today's media driven society. Um, of course, everything that you just heard can be applied to uh, other sexual depravities, the things that uh, we, we would consider today uh, still to be very repulsive, bestiality, um, you know, things like um, pedophilia, uh, you know, those things, of course, or even polygamy. I mean, those things are all kind of condemned, but you could say the same exact things about those things that you just heard Pete Buttigieg say. Uh, about homosexual marriage, quote unquote, marriages, same things. So um, it's there, there is no way to prevent Pandora's box from being completely open to the widest degree when that's the kind of logic used to propel the sexual revolution forward. So anyway, um, I figured I'd at least share that with you uh, because that is part of the opposition to Mike Johnson. It makes me like Mike Johnson more though. That I mean, he's, he's telling the truth. Hey, this is uh, this is sexual anarchy. God's going to judge us. God's judged other nations. Um, I mean, that's just standard Christian talk. Of course, here's uh, here's the Tim Keller. I, this is what I told you that uh, Tim Keller had. Um, oh, let me get rid of this. Hold on. Tim Keller had uh, said this a while ago. This was what from 2022. So it was last year about Stephen Colbert. Uh, this is a, It was a brilliant example Stephen Colbert put out there to be a Christian in a public square. He was a witness, <laughs> but in a form the culture could handle. Yeah, I mean, this is the, the failure of the winsome kind of approach to Christianity. I mean, using Stephen Colbert as your... And, and then if you look at the clip, this is from 2022. I mean, it's not even... A, he's not witnessing. It's not even a great clip. Um, but, but this is a kind of person. I mean, it's, it's people like this that have a, a little bit of a celebrity status and might be Catholic or Christian in some sense that uh, evangelical elites tend to think, oh man, like that's, that's our standard of success now. Um, so uh, I wanted to show you, so, so, so that's the, the secular, you know, way that people are handling this, but I want to show you something. This is uh, Kristen Dumez, author of Jesus and John Wayne. And this is what she had to say about Mike Johnson that you did with Politico, you note that you're not using the term Christian nationalist here as a pejorative. You say it is merely a descriptive device, uh, which leads me to the, to the beliefs of Mike Johnson uh, in particular. Does he qualify in your definition as a Christian nationalist? Yeah, you know, this is a term that scholars have been using for a very long time. And only very recently are people self-identifying as Christian nationalists. I don't know that Mike Johnson has self-identified as one, but he certainly fits all of the criteria that scholars have used uh, to, to talk about 
Christian nationalism. So we tend to talk about people adhering to Christian nationalist commitments or um, being sympathetic to those. And yes, Mike Johnson, absolutely. His entire career, his legal career, his legislative career has really been dedicated to expanding the, uh, the power of conservative Christianity in the United States. All right. So that's all it takes. You want to conserve or, or propel, uh, promote the authority or the power of Christian conservatives to biblical values, that kind of thing. You're a Christian nationalist at that point. And the, the people on Twitter who are, are detractors of Christian nationalism and see it as this horrible threat and writing all kinds of screeds and blogs against it and making speeches, linking it with kinism and trying, trying all manner of everything to uh, distance themselves from it will never escape this as long as they are a Christian and think that biblical values should be implemented on some level. They are going to be a Christian nationalist. That's all there is to it. The This is how, like, notice how this the, this works. The world is pushing against Mike Johnson uh, because he's, uh, you know, he, he's against pornography in his personal life, mind you. Uh, he is uh, against, uh, he was against homosexual marriage. They're, they're pushing against that, or, or I should say the government recognizing homosexual wedding ceremonies. And what do the Christian elites do in this case when they have an opportunity to stand before the media and speak prophetically, right? You know, they should be backing up what Mike Johnson says. They should be saying, absolutely. I mean, wh where's the level of concern for things like pornography, for things like um, sexual anarchy in this country? Well, instead, what they do when they have the opportunity is they join the fray. They help carry the water for these worldly, these evil worldly people. And they say things like Mike Johnson is a Christian nationalist. And, and that's, you know, that's a horrible thing. It's on MSNBC that she's saying this. So they, they run in the same circles and this, they, they do the same thing. They're, they're going, pushing in the same direction, pushing the needle in the same way that the world is pushing the needle. And, uh, and I and I say the world, I'm talking about the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, prosal pride of life, and the philosophies and people who promote those things. That's what I'm talking about. They're carrying the water for them. These things ought not to be, but this is what you have in uh, Big Eva, unfortunately. And, and and unfortunately, too, when you have these big, these detractors of Christian nationalism, we want to treat it like this stage, you know, 10 threat, red alert. Uh, they're helping people like Christian Dumez make the, the case. I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm saying it as a fact. I'm not saying it as whether, you know, whether their critiques are right or wrong. That's just the practical outworking of it. Uh, if it's such a boogeyman, then that boogeyman's going to be wielded. So um, I think that was the last uh, clip I wanted to share with you. Um, I wanted to share this with you, though, about Mike Johnson real quick in our closing time here. Um, there's a I, I happened across uh, to see this on uh, Facebook from a guy named Adam McManus. Pastor Chad Chauvin wrote, Mike Johnson was the first Sunday school teacher I had as a new Christian when he, he lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This was the year 2000. He taught Sunday school from the Bible rather than using a workbook. On Halloween, he invited me and other college students to go door to door, passing out gospel tracts, sharing the gospel with our neighbors. It was also my first glimpse into what a truly godly household looked like, and he and his wife were expecting their first child. So he, he talks about this guy, and I mean, he's one of us. That's what it seems like. Now, that being said, I'm not going to play the clip because of time, but uh, I did happen to see this. <laughs> and I this is the only thing I, I, I figured I have to be honest with you guys. 
Um, Mike Johnson believes that white people have an easier path in life than black people because of the color of their skin, according to Patriot Takes. But if you watch this video, it's a, it's only a minute long. Mike Johnson basically says, I, I have I think they adopted a black son and that his black son's going to have a much harder time making you know his way through life. And this, I'm assuming this was in 2020. It's a PBS interview and that we need transformative solutions to address this. So we need to I mean, he is carrying the critical race theory water in in this particular clip. Uh, now, I don't know whether he still feels that way or not, but that is a problem. And so um, I, I, I want to say I am positive about Mike Johnson, especially with a lot of the Christian things he said. But he was uh, either deceived or believes, even now, uh, some aspects of CRT, at least the aspect that um, because of these systemic uh, advantages that white people have, his white son is going to have a much better time of it. I mean, we just showed you what it was it three or four weeks ago maybe a month ago that the top co companies in this country are overwhelmingly hiring minorities now in response to 2020 i mean it's just it's unbelievable what's happening to the white workforce as a result of that so i mean his son his son who's black is is going to have obviously there are cultural differences there's going to, they're both going to have um challenges and, and challenges that aren't even related to the color of their skin challenges related to all kinds of things their christianity where they live uh where they what field they decide to get into what college they attend uh what kind of hobbies they're interested in. i mean there's a million things but on that issue specifically um, statistically his son is going to have a much better time being hired by top companies in this country being black uh, a much better time getting into ivy league schools being a racial minority i mean it's just a fact so anyway, um, yeah, someone said, ask the white people in South Africa uh, if their life is easier today. Yeah, that's uh, not not so. In fact, there's a good thread my brother wrote on South Africa, the Boers of South Africa for people who are on Twitter. It got shared by Lauren Southern. I think Tom Askell liked it. It's a it was great. All right. Well, um, someone said, are you saying Ma Max Lucado has gone woke? Oh, well, I'm saying Max Lucado has kind of been on the woke train, at least on some level for a while. So I'm not saying he's gone woke. I'm saying he's been that way. At least he has some sympathies in that direction. Uh, all right. Uh, last chance for questions. Uh, anything that you guys might have, uh, I would be curious to read questions, comments. I don't know if there's been further developments in this whole thing with uh, Audrey Hale, but um I have, just so people know, tomorrow, if I have the time, I have queued up the Robert E. Lee stuff because I didn't get to talk about that. So we'll see if we can talk about that. Uh, and also Southern Baptist stuff. I want to talk about this um, uh, this amicus brief. And then um, also the reactions to a, a William Wolfe video <laughs> that is getting a lot of attention or was getting a lot of attention. He had to block all kinds of people. So we'll see how far we get. There's some other things too, but We'll see how far we get with that, uh, Lord willing, tomorrow. Uh, probably if I'm going to do it tomorrow, I mean, I don't know when it would be. Um, it would be either, probably not morning, probably be towards the evening, but um, I will let people know. Uh, so final thoughts, final comments here. We've been going an hour and 10 minutes. So if anyone has anything, now is the time. It uh, doesn't look like there's any questions. <laughs> Someone asked if Pete Buttigieg had uh, done anything for transportation. Uh, does he even work? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I do not know the answer to that. Um, someone said Louisiana has a ban on pornography. It's limited, but it's an effort. That's great to hear. 
I mean, there are places where you still have old laws on the books that haven't been repealed. Uh, someone says, was Audrey known, Audrey Hale, known to be on cross-sex hormones? That I am not sure. Maybe someone can answer that. Uh, I am not sure about that. That would be uh, an interesting uh, question to have answered, though. Uh, someone says that they think so. Um, I mean, look, if, if you look at the picture, and maybe it's just the way that her hair is cut and everything. I mean, I... I, now I'm 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 looking at it think, thinking okay yeah I mean it's a, it's a girl but I look I, for the first like ten minutes of this episode I was accidentally saying that um, she was a biological male because sometimes it, it is that deceptive and I thought maybe it was a male trying to look like a female so yeah how can we pray for your family um thank you yeah oof so many things I think just the general thing is for peace strength and yeah <laughs> peace strength. And wisdom would be the three things right now that we need. And uh, yeah, it's been a hard time for my wife, especially right now. There's been a number of things, uh, most notably her, her mother's passing, but there's been a number of things. And I just want to say, I should say this. Thank you so much for those who did um, uh, give to the funeral costs and send us letters and of encouragement and notes. And, and I really do uh, appreciate that. It means a lot. Um, now, I, I didn't mean to do this earlier in the episode, but I'll close with it um, if I can find it. So I wanted to plug something that uh, is pretty interesting. If you go to, see if I can find the website. If I can't find the website, I'll have to do it on another podcast, but I really wanted to do it. Okay, yeah, it's tinybibles.com, tinybibles.com. And I'll show that to you so you can see what I'm looking at here. Um, sponsor for this podcast, which I, by the way, I'm very thankful for, to, to the sponsors who allow me to, uh, do this kind of material. So if you're someone who reach out, if you're someone who, um, has a product, I mean, and, and I, I want Christians to also know where they can go to get certain products, uh, whether that's coffee or tea or craft supplies or whatever it is. So you're not going to Amazon. You're not going to companies that hate you, but, uh, I'll just mention this company. This is Tiny Bibles, tinybibles.com, tinybibles.com. Uh, and if you go there, you're going to see a picture of a very tiny Bible. <laughs> Believe me, it is tiny. I have uh, one that's, uh, well, one was given to me that's, um, it, you, you need basically a magnifying glass unless you have really good uh, eyesight. So the Tiny Bible in 1896 uh, was produced by David Bryce of Glasgow, and it's a miniature Bible. Uh, there's, you can see the picture here. I mean, it, it's like, there's the finger, there's the Bible. I mean, exceptionally small print as smallest Bible ever printed in the world. And in recent times, there's been nothing like it on the market. So, uh, so now it's back on the market. You can actually buy copies of this now and uh, Kickstarter successfully raised $25,000 to be able to produce this. Now you can purchase it. And the, the intention behind it is in the face of persecution where, you know, digital things, you can lose them and, uh, you know, larger Bibles can be confiscated. This tiny Bible can get into places where other Bibles can't. So it's a King James version. I think they're trying to work on some other versions as well, but um, you can check out tinybibles.com for updates on that. But th this is something you can take with you. And, uh, and so that's kind of the appeal. I think that it's kind of a novelty. In fact, I I uh, I, I think it's a great uh, uh, prize to give away. You know, because Christians, I mean, we have how many Bibles we have, but do we have a tiny one, right? And so, uh, 
I, I think it's kind of a cool thing, uh, even to just uh, give away to, um, you know, people in Sunday school or, or church or just as, as a fun gift. It's, it's, I I've used it several times in social settings to be like, Hey, you want to read the Bible? And I'll give, you know, whip out the tiny Bible. And they're like, that's a Bible. Um, so anyway, uh, Martin Chamberlain's the individual who got this up and running. And if you want to know more, go to tinybibles.com. That's tinybibles.com and uh, get your tiny Bible. Um, makes a good Christmas present too for uh, that Bible collector in your family. All right. Well, um, oh man, I thought I was done. Someone just mentioned to me that Mike Johnson fought against an abolitionist bill in Louisiana. Didn't know about that. Uh, obviously not a perfect man. And maybe there are some issues there, but uh, the things that he's getting flack for, I'm very positive about. I'll put it that way. So um, with that, thank you for your prayers. Uh, thank you to everyone who chimed in. Uh, God bless you all. Uh, more coming. And in 15 minutes, I'll be on the wrap report. So you can pray for that interview. God bless.